0: There, Welcome to this seventh episode of linguistics with Laura. I'm very excited for today's episode because we're going to be discussing one of my favorite topics to harass my friends with by providing awkward and random facts about speech sounds. So today we're going to be talking about what is probably my second favorite topic in linguistics. That is phonetics. And a lot of weird noises are going to be made in this episode today, in fact, more than usual, so make sure and get ready for this episode. However, phonetics aren't the only things coming up soon on Linguistics with Laura. Pretty soon I'll be sitting down with my roommate Katie for a fun little bonus episode on accents and the different ways we pronounce certain words. Make sure and stay tuned for that. I guarantee there will be some fun debating happening during that discussion. But, for now though, let's begin our deep dive into the acoustic side of linguistics. We begin with the larynx, also known as the voice box. This is where human vocal sound occurs, and then it travels through the throat or pharynx, occasionally it resonates in the nasal cavity, and then obviously it makes its way into the mouth as well. Now I'm sure at one point in your life you learned that there were 26 letters in the alphabet, and you may have even been told that each one represents a sound in the English language. Well, I'm here to tell you that that statement is false. Well, part of it is, anyway. Yes, there are obviously 26 letters in the alphabet, but not all of those 26 letters represent a distinct sound in the English language. In fact, there are actually many sounds in the English language that don't have their own letters. In English, we have not 26, but 44 individual speech sounds. These sounds are called phonemes. Phonemes are the smallest unit of sound that can distinguish one word from another. There's actually a specific test to determine whether or not something is considered a phoneme. This is called the minimal pairs test. Take the words bag and tag. Can you tell how many phonemes are in each of these words? I'll give you a hint. It correlates with the number of letters in each word, which, by the way, is not always the case. So yes, that would be three three phonemes in each word. In the word bag, we have three sounds, b, a, and g. In the word tag, we also have three sounds, t, a, and g. So you'll notice that there's only one phoneme distinguishing these two words and thus distinguishing their meanings. So there's one difference in sound that makes us think of something you hold groceries in versus something that you cut off of your new clothes. This is because the words bag and tag are minimal pairs. There's only one phoneme that differentiates the two words from being completely identical. Now take the words ship and sheep. You might think that these words are not minimal pairs because one word has four letters and the other has five, but you would be falling into this trap of believing that letters equal speech sounds. The truth is that the words ship and sheep are also minimal pairs. Only one phoneme distinguishes the two, and in this case, it's the vowels i versus e. You probably have already learned the difference between vowels and consonants a long time ago in your youth, but allow me to complicate this knowledge a little bit, or maybe a lot of it. The fundamental and physical difference between a consonant and a vowel is that in the physical production of a consonant, there is something called constriction. There's a certain type of blockage that allows this distinct type of consonant to be formed. We'll get into the specifics of these types of restrictions in a little bit, though. A vowel, on the other hand, possesses almost no restriction. It's very open, very free. There's a reason why every word has at least one vowel, and why every syllable in a word has to have a vowel. Without vowels, so that would be words with only consonants, your speech sounds would sound something like this. See, that makes no sense. And it's also really hard not to let little vowels creep up in the transition from one consonant to another. This is also why singers focus so much on their vowels as opposed to their consonants. The vowels are the highlight of the vocal notes, they allow the beauty of the free raw human voice to ring through the air, whereas the consonants simply just act to convey the lyrics of the song essentially. So what are the different types of consonants? Well, this is where it gets more complicated. There are three main features of consonants that linguists focus on. These are voicing, placement, and manner. Let's talk about voicing first. When you make sound in your larynx or voice box, two different things can happen. With certain consonants, your vocal cords will rub together and produce a vibration that you can feel with your fingers if you put them up to your throat. Make the following sound and place your fingers on the front of your neck. You should feel a vibration. This is because your larynx just underwent a process called phonation, where your vocal cords rub together. This is a process called adduction as well. Now make the following sound, keeping your fingers in the same place as before. This time you shouldn't feel a vibration. This is because the sound is voiceless or unvoiced. Phonation does not occur with the production of this sound, and your vocal cords remain separated during a process called abduction. However, with the v th sound, phonation does occur. The vocal cords rub together and vibrate, causing you to feel it with your fingertips. Here's where it gets interesting. Make both of those sounds again, v and f. Notice what you do with your teeth when you make these sounds. For both of them, you place your upper teeth against your lower lip, causing the build-up of friction. In fact, the placement of your teeth should be exactly the same for both of these sounds. The only difference between these two sounds lies in their voicing. Their placement, however, is exactly the same, and because of this, these two sounds are called cognates. These two sounds are also called labiodentals, where the lips and the teeth meet together to create constriction. Without placing your top teeth against your bottom lip, it's impossible to make the f or v sound. Try it. I rest my case. There are actually lots of other cognates in English as well. A few that come to mind are the sounds sh and zh, s and z, g and k, and finally t and d. Try whispering each of these sounds so when you whisper you don't phonate, so you shouldn't have any vibration if you put your fingers up to your neck. What you'll notice is that sounds that are cognates don't sound really any different when you whisper them. This is because the only difference between two sounds that are cognates lies in the voicing of those consonants. The second aspect of a consonant is something called placement, which refers to the location where there is restriction in the production of a speech sound. So if we take the f and v sounds, for example, the restriction occurs between the top teeth and the bottom lip, friction builds up and creates either the f sound or v sound, depending on if phonation occurs or not. There are several different categories of placement where we can place, no pun intended, our different consonants. The first type of placement, if we're talking about speech sounds created at the frontmost point of the human face, I guess you could say, is the bilabials. Bi, the prefix, means two and labial means lips, thus the bilabial sounds are made using both of our two lips. So these would be sounds like p, b, which are cognates, and mm. Try these out. Notice how you can't make these sounds without putting your lips together? Well, that's because these sounds require constriction or restriction between the two lips. The next type of placement are the labiodentals, which we just talked about. The only two labiodentals are the f and v sounds. It's as simple as that. Moving on, we have the interdentals, and like the labiodentals, there's also only two of these. There's th and th. One of these is voiced, and the other is voiceless. These are called interdentals because the tongue goes in between the teeth, so it kind of makes sense. This one I think people have some trouble distinguishing because in English, we write both of these two sounds the same way, with the letters th. What you'll notice, though, is that one of the THs is voiced, so phonation occurs, and the other one is not. Take the word THE. Notice how the TH sound is voiced in that sound. Now take the word THOUGHT. The TH is not voiced, phonation does not occur, thus these are two different phonemes, two different speech sounds. I kind of like these sounds, I think they're fun, they're a little bit different. Next, we have the alveolars, sometimes pronounced alveolars, which are probably the most common one could say type of consonants. These are called the alveolars because the constriction occurs at that weird little bumpy ridge behind your top teeth. Say the sounds n, t, d, s, z, and l. Notice how they all force your tongue to hit that area behind your teeth? Well, that's because they're alveolars. Moving further back into the mouth and throat, we have the palatals. These are also some of my favorites. I think I like them because they're different from a lot of the phonemes that are basic and are just represented by boring old English letters. So the palatals are the following sounds. Sh, ch, ye, j, and zh. These all have really fun symbols to transcribe. My phonetics professor referred to the symbol for the sh sound as an elongated s, which I think is kind of funny and then there's the ch sound, which kind of builds off of the sh sound symbol. And then you have the y sound, which is really tricky because it looks like the letter J, but it doesn't make the j sound. I think I have to say that the French sounding z sound or maybe the ch sound are my favorite sounds. I just think they're the most fun to say. I mean, come on, if it sounds French, it's gonna sound fancy, so of course I'm gonna like it. But anyway. If we move further back into the oral cavity area, we happen upon the velars. These are called velars because the constriction occurs at the level of the velum, also known as the soft palate. These sounds, I will say, are a little bit harder to understand how we can produce these sounds because the constriction occurs so far back in the mouth. These sounds are the K sound, G sound, which is the voice version of the K sound, by the way, The ng sound, which does not have its own letter in English, it's usually just represented by an N followed by a G, and then finally the w sound. Some people argue that the w sound is also a bilabial since you sort of use your two lips to make the sound, but I think of it more as a velar sound. If you make any of these four sounds though, you'll feel a sort of pressure build up in the back of your mouth where your soft palate or velum is, which is why these sounds are called the velars. Finally, our very last type of placement occurs all the way down and back in the glottis, thus these sounds are called the glottals. However, there's really only two phonemes in English that are glottals. The first is the voiceless huh sound. The second is something called the glottal stop, which we don't really recognize as being its own sound, even though it is. Take the word cat. You don't say cat, you say cat. You just kind of cut off the end of the word. That's because with the word cat, or most words that end with the letter T, we use a glottal stop instead. We'll get into glottal stops and allophones of different phonemes in our next episode on phonology, so stay tuned for that. The third and final form of categorization for phonemes is the manner of articulation. The different names for the different types of manners of articulation are some of my favorite words to say. I'll list them off to explain why. There's the stops, nasals, fricatives, affricates, glides, and liquids. So pretty fun batch of words to say, if I do say so myself. We start out with the stops, also sometimes called plosives. These include the following sounds, b, p, t, d, k, and g, and then the glottal stop, which again we'll discuss more when we get to phonology. Now, the reason these are called stops actually makes a lot of sense. Try to say the sound b for five seconds. Now try with the sound d. Now, "k". What do you notice? You shouldn't be able to do it. That's because these sounds are stops. They are fleeting. In order to make these sounds, you have to create a large buildup of air pressure and then suddenly release it. You can't create these sounds continuously. They're like moments in our lives, once something of the future and then something of the past. The airstream is completely blocked in the oral cavity for a very short period of time. Try saying the sound t for five seconds. What does it sound like? The t sound should sound like a s, which is another voiceless alveolar sound. The d sound should sound like a z. That's because the sounds s and z are very similar to t and d. The only difference is that t and d are stops, and s and z are continuance, or speech sounds that can be made for more than one fleeting moment. More specifically though, the sounds s and z are members of the fricative community, along with the sounds f, v, f, 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 sh, and zh. And then finally, h, huh. these sounds are called fricatives because the manner in which they're articulated occurs because the airstream is obstructed in a way that produces friction. I gotta say, I love the fricatives, and come on, you can't tell me that the word fricative is not ridiculously fun to say. But there's another fun category of describing manner of articulation, and these are called the affricates. There are only two of these, and they're kind of funky because they're essentially combinations of stops and fricatives. The two affricates are both cognates of each other, ch and j, one voiceless, the other voiced. These are also some of the more fun sounds of the English language, in my personal opinion. The next type of manner of articulation are the nasal consonants. Try plugging your nose and saying the following sounds, m, mm, m, mm, and m. Mm. You essentially can't. That's because these three sounds are nasals. They resonate in the nasal cavity, or the nose, in order to produce the desired phoneme. So any time you're congested and you have to say a word like monkey or mango, chances are it's going to be pretty clear that you're congested. However, if you plug your nose and say the words chair, thoughtful, or skateboard, you should have no trouble. In fact, a listener would probably not even be able to tell that you were plugging your nose unless, of course, they saw that you were plugging your nose. Try it. I'll do it right now, too. Chair, thoughtful, skateboard. You can hardly tell the difference because none of these words have any of the nasal sounds. Moving on to our next manner of articulation, we have the glides. There are only two of these sounds, w and y. These are called glides because, well, they glide through the mouth or oral cavity. And finally, we have the liquids. These are the l sounds and r sounds. These are called liquids because their molecules to have a fixed volume but take the shape of their container. No, I'm just kidding. That's what I learned in my seventh grade science class, but right now we're talking about language. Anyway, pretending that that terrible joke didn't just happen, the liquids are called such because there is some soft, more slight obstruction of the airstream, but not enough to cause friction, like with fricatives or affricates. If you're confused about the difference between manner and placement, the key difference to remember is that placement refers to the location of constriction that occurs during the production of a phoneme, whereas manner refers more to the way that air flows during the production of a phoneme. The complication for English phonemes is far from over, however. We still have to cover the topic of vowels in English, and I might be about to blow your mind with this, but in fact there are many more vowels than just the A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y vowels. Let's start with the pure vowels, or the non-diphthongs, monophthongs, if you will. If you've ever taken Spanish, you know how easy and simple the vowel system tends to be in Romance languages. In Spanish, there are five main vowels, A, A, E, I, O, and U. It's just about as simple as that. However, as you are probably fully aware, we have many, many more vowels in English. We have these five vowels that are present in our Romance languages, but we also have the following, A as in apple, I as in crib, and E as in bed. These vowels are considered front vowels because the highest part of the tongue is positioned roughly in the front of the mouth. The front vowels also include our A and E sounds that we talked about with Spanish as well. Then we have the central vowels, where the tongue is positioned in the center or middle of the mouth, halfway between where the tongue would be during the production of a front vowel versus a back vowel. These include the vowel U as in blood and F, you can finish that one. The central vowels also include something that is pretty unique to the English language, and that is the schwa. The schwa is an unstressed vowel somewhat resembling the uh sound, though a schwa is always unstressed, and the uh sound is always stressed. So for example, a word like banana has two schwas, one in the first syllable and one in the last. The middle syllable, the banana part, is stressed. Finally, we move on to the back vowels, where the highest point of the tongue is positioned roughly in the back of the mouth. These include the vowel U and O, which we mentioned before in addition to the vowel U as in book, A as in pot, and A as in mall. Each of these vowels, in addition to being considered front, central, or back vowels, are also classified by their vertical position in the mouth, their tension, and their roundness. Some vowels, for example, are high vowels, where the tongue is positioned closer to the roof of the mouth. These sounds include E as in bead, A as in made, uh as in hook, and oo as in hoop. Then we have the mid vowels, where the tongue is positioned vertically in the middle of the mouth. These include the vowels I as in crib, the schwa or unstressed uh that we discussed earlier, and the O sound as in toe. Finally, we have the low vowels, where the tongue is positioned far away from the roof of the mouth. These include the vowels eh as in bed, a as in cat, the stressed uh as in buck, ah as in otter, and finally the aw as in the name Paul. If you're more of a visual learner, you can simply google English vowel chart and look at images in order to see how these vowels are all positioned in relation to one another, cause I know it can be a lot. Now let's look at another type of vowel distinction. First, we have the distinction between rounded and retracted vowels. Logically, rounded vowels make a round shape in the mouth. They are open and circular. Can you figure out which ones these are? They are oo, o, uh, and aw. Say them out loud in front of the mirror and you'll instantly be able to tell why. All of the other vowels, so e, eh, ah, uh, ah, and i, and both the stressed and unstressed uhs are retracted or spread vowels. Again, if you say these in the mirror, you'll instantly be able to tell why. Our rounded vowels will cause your mouth to make a round shape, whereas the retracted or spread vowels will not. They will be more spread flat. The last way we distinguish vowels is whether or not a vowel is tense or lax. There's actually a pretty easy way to tell the difference between tense or lax vowels. The way to tell the difference is whether or not a vowel can be the last sound of a word. So for example, tense vowels can be the last sounds of words, like the a as in the word bay, a as in the word paw, e as in the word t, a as in pa, or oo as in blue. So that then leaves the lax vowels, which cannot be the ends of words. These are the sounds i, uh, eh, ah, and both of our uhs. If you try to think of words that end with these sounds, you literally cannot find any, and that's because these vowels are laxed, so they are more relaxed, and thus they have to be in between consonants. Finally, our last topic of phonetics for today the diphthongs, not pronounced diphthongs, but instead, if you wanna truly sound like a fancy speech pathologist, diphthongs with a f sound. These are vowels that combine two, quote, pure vowels into one transformative kind of mushy vowel. The first is oi, as in boy or moist, which of course is everyone's favorite word. This diphthong is a combination of the vowels a and i Try saying both of these slowly, one after the other. Ah, 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 You hear how it sounds like oy? If you say it quickly together, it comes out oy. Thus, we have our diphthong. The next one is ow, as in ouch or count, where the vowel ah transforms into the vowel uh. Say this one slowly and then quickly. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ow, ow you hear how it becomes "ow? Finally, there is "I" as in "by, mind" or "light." Now I have a little bit of a personal issue with considering the diphthong in the word "by" and the diphthong in the word "light" to be the same. To me, the diphthong "I" combines the vowel "a" ah with the vowel "I, whereas the diphthong in the word "light" sounds like a combination of the vowels "a" uh and "i." but according to most linguists, this is the same diphthong, a combination of the vowels a ah, and uh, and I guess the linguists know what they're talking about, kind of, so I'll stick with what they say for now. Some linguists also consider our O vowel and A vowel to be diphthongs as well. In fact, in my phonetics class, we were taught that these sounds are diphthongs when they are in stressed syllables and are monophthongs, or regular vowels in unstressed syllables. In languages like Spanish, however, these vowels are very pure and unchanging, so they are not diphthongs at all. They're just pure plain-Jane monothongs. O-N-A. And that does it. We have reached the end of our episode on phonetics. I will say the one downside of learning phonetics via audio is that we can't talk about the phonetic symbols that are used in the International Phonetic Alphabet, or IPA, for phonetic transcription. It's just a shame. However, if you are interested in learning phonetic symbols for phonemes, Just simply Google IPA chart, and you'll be able to see a comprehensive list of all the wonderful, beautiful English phonemes. And it's not that beer IPA, by the way. It's the linguistics IPA. But anyway, what I love about transcription is that all of the symbols are the same in every language and signify the same sounds. It's very unifying in a way. Also, it's pretty fun to brag that you know how to transcribe English phonemes and allophones into IPA. You know, definitely a fun party trick. It is cool, though, because if you can transcribe words and sentences, it's almost like a secret code that nobody else understands, unless, of course, they are a small five foot two brunette that has an odd fascination with language, then it won't be so secret. So, that was a lot, and I promised there would be lots of weird noises, but that's just how phonetics is, and you come to appreciate it. So it'd be like that sometimes. Thank you for listening to this episode. Tune in next time. I'll be continuing our discussion of sounds in the English language with a discussion of phonology, which refers to the sound systems and patterns in language. It'll be kind of like a part two to this phonetics episode. Thanks again for tuning in today, and I will catch you next time here on Linguistics with Laura.